Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. So following last week's bottle episode, if that doesn't make sense, just ask somebody later. We're back on track tonight with our worship series in this season. It's called The Cries of Our Hearts, and we're reading sort of sequentially through what I've been calling the third quarter of Mark's gospel. Um, And so far, we've been reading stories about Jesus from chapters 8, 9, and 10. And we're going to skip over chapter 11 because that's the entrance into Jerusalem uh, when he asks for a donkey, he borrows one from someone and makes his way to the temple, and it's a whole thing. He's in Jerusalem, though, and he's arrived there for the final week of his ministry, of his life. And during that week, he's going to spend a lot of time in the temple preaching and teaching and otherwise turning over tables, right? I mean, the chapters 12 and 13 of Mark's Gospel contain some of Jesus's most provocative words and actions. There are the conflict that he's been in with the VRPs, the very religious persons, is really ramping up. It's been sort of low-key, low-level up to now, but now it's revving up. And Jesus does nothing in these chapters to try and calm things down. He just keeps poking that bear. So for tonight, we'll read from Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. It's not a long reading, but it's important. And the theme for tonight is, we cry out for empire to be right-sized. So they sent to him some Pharisees and some Herodians, those are the VRPs, to trap him in what he said. And they came and said to him, teacher, We know that you are sincere and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why are you putting me to the test? Bring me a denarius, let me see it. And they brought one. And then he said to them, Whose head is this? Whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Jesus said to them, Well, give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and give to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I asked you to name the whole cast of characters from the Gospels, without looking, just by remembering all the stories you know about Jesus and that tiny piece of the world he inhabited for a very short period of time that is narrated for us in the Bible, how long would your list be? If we worked on it together, I bet it would be really, really long. I mean, we'd start with his family of origin, right? Mary and Joseph, of course, and Elizabeth, and what's his name? The parents of his cousin, John the Baptist, and all those anonymous shepherds and foreign astrologers who showed up cribside, and 
that first nasty Herod who had all those babies murdered, and oh, then that other Herod too, and the fishermen who dropped their nets by the sea to follow him, James, John, Peter, Andrew, and then some more whose names and jobs are less memorable than that, and there are those women who supported his ministry with their money, Joanna, Susanna, Mary Magdalene, I know you would not forget them, and lots and lots and lots of people that he healed and helped and argued with and fed and forgave and blessed and cursed, some with names we know, many more whose names we don't. And we would go on and on and on and on, and it would take a long time. And it's kind of wild, you know, for someone who never traveled very far from his hometown and didn't live all that long. Jesus' life is widely populated by people whose stories intersect with his story, and so they have become, you know, famous by their association with him. There's one character, though, whose presence is usually just forgotten in such a list. I think it's because he never actually appears with Jesus. He's never, like, on stage with Jesus, and he doesn't have any dialogue in any of the scenes in any of the Gospels. This one character is the emperor. Well, emperors, actually, plural. Because during Jesus' lifetime, there are actually two of them. Two Caesars. Two heads of state of the Roman Empire, the dominant world power in the West and Middle East, conquering territory after territory with its well-funded military-industrial complex, claiming the Earth's resources and the Earth's peoples as its own. Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar, the heir to a throne that he kind of negotiated out of the Roman Senate. And Augustus ruled during the time of Jesus' birth and childhood. And then around the time that Jesus was a young teenager, Augustus died and passed on the throne to Caesar Tiberius, his own adopted son, who reigned then during the rest of Jesus' lifetime. Emperor Augustus, Emperor Tiberius, these two do not loom large in our memories of the stories about Jesus traveling the countryside working miracles and hugging babies and preaching good news and looking for the next place to share some dinner and lay his head. But they should. They should loom large. Because everything that Jesus does and says, every person he meets, every meal he shares, every argument he wins, every prayer he says, all of it, all of it happens under the hungry, devouring shadow of the Roman Empire and its throttle hold on the people, the resources, and the religion of occupied territory. Let me say it plain. Jesus and everybody else you remember in the Gospels lived under occupation by a hostile empire with a huge-ass army with soldiers deployed in every rural village to keep the so-called peace, the Pax Romana. That is, to keep the native riffraff in their place. 
A conqueror's work is not done when the territory is annexed. It takes constant presence and pressure to keep rebellion from bubbling up. The domination has to be total. The economy, the governance, the decision-making power, all shifts to the empire's standards and dissent must be squashed. Well, that means if you have a religious belief, for example, that says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world is the Lord's and all the people who live in it, that's Psalm 24, well, the emperor is not going to like that. Because the emperor believes that the earth is the emperor's and everything in it. And the world is the emperor's and all the people who live in it. You can't just go around saying right out loud that you think everything belongs to some other sovereign, some other power, some other ruler on some other throne. That's treason. And treason is dangerous to empire. An empire will squash treason like a bug. So even if Psalm 24 is in your hymnal, shh. Sing it very, very quietly. And don't do anything that disturbs the emperor's peace. Don't poke that bear. Indeed, so much the better if your religious leaders can carve out an agreement with the local representatives of the emperor's occupational government. If they agree to let you sing your little songs about the earth being the Lord's and everything in it, you'll agree to never ever behave in any way that would upset the emperor or the empire. You'll sing it in here, but not act on it out there. You'll be cooperative and compliant subjects to the reign of Caesar. This is the reality that Jesus and all his kin and all his neighbors and all his enemies lived under. Palestine, that little territory from Galilee in the north where Jesus was raised to Judea in the south where Jerusalem was still ostensibly the capital, though in a conquered territory that really doesn't mean very much. The whole of it was just a little bitty dot on the Roman Empire's vast map of their holdings. I mean, it was sort of valuable for its coastal lands on the Mediterranean Sea, for the shortening of shipping routes between Europe and Asia, but mostly it was just another little backwater place that Rome's armies marched through, a not very valuable square on the global monopoly board. As long as the people there didn't make too much noise about some other universal sovereign, and as long as they kept paying the heavy taxation that Rome charged them for the privilege of their own having been conquered, everything would be fine. And just in case anyone was unclear about Rome's totalizing power for peacekeeping, there were frequent and public state executions for those who transgressed into treason, stepping outside the boundaries of the emperor's tolerance for difference and dissent, their desecrated bodies left hanging along roadsides to warn anyone who imagined that Rome wasn't listening to their every word, watching their every move. So the VRPs, those very religious persons 
who had, to some extent, made their peace with the Roman Empire, promising the cooperation of all their religious kin if the emperor would keep his soldiers out of the temple. They saw Jesus as a threat, not only to their religious authority, but to the whole deal that they had negotiated to keep Rome placated. See, if you got crowds of poor people, out-of-work people, exhausted and dispirited people who were never going to get ahead no matter how hard they tried, people about whose human flourishing the emperor had zero fucks to give, if you got all of them cavorting around the countryside, eating their fill of miraculously good and plentiful food, listening to a man who could speak of nothing but the soon coming reign of God, not Caesar. <laughs> that, was, that was very dangerous. That was very bad. If the emperor got a whiff of that, it wouldn't just be one man, the ringleader, who would suffer punishment. There could be a crackdown on the whole region, a pogrom against the descendants of that long-ago entity known as Israel, a thorough destruction of all they held dear and had worked so hard to preserve. So they came to Jesus in Jerusalem, or did he come to them? Anyway, where he had brought his treasonous reign of God, not Caesar, preaching and miracle show, and they set a trap. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Now, I think that lawful is an interesting category here, is it not? Lawful. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor? Because, of course, of course, it's the law of the Roman Empire that you pay taxes, and lots of them. But the religious law, the law of Torah and tradition, says that Jews don't pay tribute to foreign kings, that the first fruits of all their labors are paid in grateful thanksgiving to... God, whose land it is, because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The question they're asking Jesus is a case study where paying taxes stands in for the whole big question. Whose law are we under? To whose reign are we meant to be loyal subjects? If we choose the emperor, have we dishonored God? If we choose God... How long before the emperor crushes us? What do you think, rabbi? Pay the taxes or not? Jesus does not like being tested. He just doesn't like feeling like the question they're asking isn't really what they want to know. It happened to us the other day at UTA, Wednesday, some conserving Christians, not students at UTA, showed up at an LGBTQIA resource fair preceding a very fine drag show on that campus where I and some other clergy from the Inclusive Faith Coalition had set up a table in the foyer to share the good news that it's quite possible to be both queer and in the heart of God. We know it's possible, we say, because we've seen it. Because we've seen it. But these trolls, calling themselves Christian, came 
to take our attention away from the students we came to spend time with. And you know, they tried to trick us at first. They pretended to be interested in our coalition and our churches and our gospel. <laughs> but no, 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 no. We've got the spirit of the living Christ in us, and Jesus has seen this trick before. So we figured it out pretty quick. By the time they were spewing a hate-filled diatribe about hell and our eternal punishment, we already knew their hypocrisy. Knowing their hypocrisy, Mark says, he said to them, why are you putting me to the test? And then he said, bring me a denarius. Let me see it. So money then was like money now. You put people's faces on it, the faces that represent your loyalty, that represent the values of the empire that issues the money. Our money says, in God we trust. But just look at the faces, Jesus says. White men, slaveholders, landowners, land stealers, power brokers, politicians. This is what is valuable, the money says. This is what we value. For Jesus, the denarius in his palm would have had Emperor Tiberius's face stamped into the silver. He held it up for show and tell, and he said, whose icon is this? Icon, it's a Greek word. It means image. Whose icon is this? Whose image, whose picture, whose portrait, whose reflection? Rhetorical, I would have thought, but they answered dutifully. They said, it is the icon, it is the image of the emperor. Well, okay then, he said. Why is this so hard? The emperor can have whatever bears his icon, his image. It was always his, just give it back. But look at yourselves, he could have said if he were as wordy as I am. Just look at yourselves and look at each other. Whose icon do you bear? Whose image, whose reflection are you? I I really hope if you've been around Galileo Church for a while, you know where this is going, right? Toward the imago dei, the fancy Latin for the image of God. It's a doctrine derived from Genesis 1, which says no less than three times that humankind, the whole of us, each of us, all of us, is our created imago dei in the image of God. Let us make humankind in our image, God says. And so God created humankind in God's image. In the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. Whose icon, whose image is on the coin? If it's Caesar's, then give it back to Caesar. But render unto God what is God's. That is, whatever bears the icon, the image of God, then let it belong to God only God, no one else, God alone. 
the doctrine of Imago Dei has so much to say about who we are, who we are meant to be. We could spend a whole year of worship seasons talking about nothing but that. It is the foundation for a theological anthropology that places every human being squarely in the heart of God. But for tonight, in this story about the taxes and the coin and the emperor and the empire, hear just this one thing. Jesus is here declaring that no empire, no government, no legislature, no politician, no policy, no law made by human beings can tell you who you are. The Texas legislature can't tell you or your gender-diverse kid that you or they are too dangerous to play sports with the rest of the kids. Now, maybe they can legislate away opportunities for competition, but they cannot say that you are not a strong, swift, smart athlete, that your body is not blessed as it becomes who God sees in you. They have no jurisdiction over the imago dei, render unto God what is God's. People with the luck to be born over here instead of over there cannot say that anyone's existence is illegal, that your being is out of bounds and therefore disallowed here. I mean, they can try to keep you out of the places they think belong to them, but they cannot say that you are undeserving of every good thing this world has to offer. They have no jurisdiction over the Imago Dei in immigrants. Render unto God what is God's. White people cannot say that a black man jogging in their neighborhood is a life-threatening danger to their existence and therefore he deserves his murder. They can kill him and maybe, I don't know, maybe they can get away with it under the laws of this empire. This empire. But they do not have the standing to diminish Ahmaud Arbery's ontological status as Imago Dei. Render unto God what is God's. This, this giving to God what belongs to God, the earth and everything in it, the world and all the people of it, is a dangerous thing to do in any age, in any empire, and it takes people of courage and integrity to make it so. I dare say I wouldn't be able to do it on my own without a community of beloveds who help me remember who I am. My sense of self as Imago Dei suffers hits every single day under an onslaught of empire. The empire's economy that needs and breeds my dissatisfaction with what I've already got so I'll buy more and my anxious drive to work unto exhaustion to get it. The empire's religio-patriotic military bullying that has made more messes than it has been able to clean up lately and murdered more people in my lifetime than we care to count. This empire's pretense that hard work is all it takes to get ahead and anybody who doesn't do it must not be trying hard enough. This empire's privileging of whiteness and maleness and straightness as it tells the story of itself it's enough to make even somebody like me perched near the tippy top of the privileged mountain. Imagine that I am who they say I am, that I belong where they say I belong. 
how much harder if you make your home on a precarious lower ledge on the steep slope of a mountain you can never climb, but down which you're forever in danger of sliding, because that's the empire's way. Keeping down the riffraff, keeping the so-called peace, and giving a little kick to anybody who dares to assert their own beauty, their own deservedness of dignity and care. Jesus says, fuck them. Okay, I don't know if Jesus would say that. <laughs> but, but he says, they can have their money, but they can't have me. And they can't have you. They can't have anybody who bears God's image, who has that divine imprint stamped on their beautiful self. God gets everything God wants, or didn't you know? And what God wants most is you. And they were utterly amazed at him. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, We'll continually send you thanks. Peace.